Okay, well, we'll go ahead and get started uh, this evening. Uh, I do want to, uh, again, uh, remind you that uh, we do have some CDs up here. Um, Dale's uh, uh, new Christmas album, and then there's a couple of his uh, previous uh, CDs. If you don't have those, we've got those available. So um, you feel free to come up and uh, grab one of those, uh, if you will. Um, also wanted to just kind of uh, do a quick reminder. We've got uh, a potluck coming up uh, this Sunday. Um, again, just uh, uh, that brief reminder that we've got, uh, we won't have the evening service, but we'll have an afternoon service. Um, but uh, just to encourage you to make sure that uh, you sign up with the sign-up sheet up here or at least get that information to uh, Linda Griffey. Um, as soon as possible about uh, what uh, what you're bringing and what you've signed up for so we can uh, plan accordingly and fill any holes uh, where necessary. So uh, we just want to make it a, a good time of fellowship, uh, have enough food for everyone. I'm pretty sure that we'll have enough of the meat, but some of the side dishes, uh, we kind of got to fill some of that in. Um, so encourage you to um, definitely uh, sign up for that or, and communicate with Linda uh, about those, um, about which bringing. Uh, this evening, though, let's go ahead and turn into our Bibles to the book of James, uh, James chapter 1. <clears throat> um, as I was uh, stating um, uh, before we started, um, many of us know uh, the Bard family, uh, was an evangelist for a long time, um, and wound up taking a church in New Hampshire. Um, uh, recently one of his, uh, daughters passed away, uh, was, uh, a wife to a missionary in Australia, Kevin Byer, not to be confused with Kevin Byers, our missionary to Astoria, Oregon, but, um, they, uh, recently she passed away. So please make sure you keep the Bayer family and the Bard family in prayer for uh, peace and comfort. Uh, the funeral is this Friday. That's um, always a good opportunity to present the gospel. So, um, you know, for people that are not trusting Christ as their Savior, uh, death and funerals are one of the times that uh, it really kind of is there in your face. So be in prayer for them. Uh, also, um, a pastor, a uh, kind of friend of mine that uh, is, uh, um, that I know over in uh, New York. Um, I preached a conference with him not too long ago. Uh, Dewey Stewart, uh, his 17-year-old son, JT, uh, was diagnosed with a, uh, uh, a tumor that had um, several types of cancer in it and uh, uh, they successfully removed the tumor. He seems to be doing well and responding well to the treatments. So just, uh, again, keep him in prayer uh, and uh, the Stewart family. Obviously, he has no relationship to me. Somehow along the way, we are from all the, you know, from the clan Stewart. But, you know, that probably goes back a few generations. <laughs> but um, just kind of, if you would, keep uh, keep them in mind um, in the book of James, we left off uh, right around uh, verse 19, where we began to talk about the how-to part of what James was describing um, in the first section, which was he was discussing the double-mindedness of man and some of the problems that occur when we try to keep our minds on Christ and try to keep it in the world, we're going to wind up having a divided uh, a, a nature, if you will, a divided thought process. Uh, it's going to be difficult to, to attempt to do something. If you've ever tried to do two things at the same time, it doesn't always work out really well for either one of those, uh, um, if you will, tasks that you're trying to do. Uh, both of them, some way, shape, or form, are going to be lacking. It's generally, if you can focus on one task and get that task done and then move to the next task, it works far better than, you know, trying to fold different tasks in and, and if you will, do that multitasking. Uh, oddly enough, they did a study recently, and they found that the human brain is not wired to do multitasking. 
And immediately when I say that, people are like, well, I do multitasking all the time. Well, um, you've been given a, a, a gift of God. Use it wisely for him. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, not everybody has that ability. But they basically have said that uh, people are not wired that way. Uh, we are wired to focus on you know, certain things at certain times and then deal with other issues or other tasks later on. And the, the, if you will, the, the Christian walk is the same way. Uh, we are to be focusing on Christ and Christ alone. And again, this is what we wind up finding throughout uh, some of this passage as we talk about patience, as we talk about faith, as we talk about dealing with the flesh. And we'll get to that, uh, Lord willing, this evening, kind of at the end of this chapter, where he, he makes it very clear about what God's expectations of us uh, uh, in our Christian life, what it, what it is, what he, it is that he desires, and that's obviously his will. And in order to combat that uh, double-mindedness, in order to uh, uh, really think about the way we're supposed to and not fall into those temptations and those lusts, as he described in the first part, he gets to this how-to in verse 19, where he says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves." For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his face, his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But to whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but receiveth, deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you again for this time. Thank you again for an opportunity, Lord, to be here this evening and uh, to receive instruction and wisdom from you and lord we know it's pretty clear in the book of james that wisdom comes from you all good gifts uh originate from you and lord we just pray that this evening that uh, your gift of your word and your holy spirit in our lives working uh would be received and we would take these things apply them and do them as you have instructed us to do here lord i thank you again for those that are here this evening i pray lord that they would just be blessed uh, by the hearing of your word. Pray, Lord, you'd be with me and be with my mouth and my mind that only the things that would be honoring and pleasing unto you and glorifying to your name would be said and that your word would be lifted up. Again, I thank you for all that you've done for us. And Lord, we do keep in mind the buyers and uh, the bards this uh, evening as uh, they are preparing to um, uh, uh, go to the funeral uh, of Shiloh, and Lord, I just pray that you would uh, use that opportunity to speak to the hearts of uh, your people or speak to the hearts of those that are lost, that, Lord, there would be those that either return to you or those that come to uh, your saving grace and receive your gift of salvation. But, Lord, I pray that you would just use this to glorify your name, and, Lord, that you would just give them uh, peace and comfort during this time. And, Lord, I pray for... Uh, J.T. Stewart, and I uh, thank you, Lord, for the blessings of helping healing him up. And, Lord, I pray you just keep him in remission uh, from the, the tumor, that, Lord, you just give him many, many, many long years of life that please you and honor you and glorify you as he serves you and lives for you. And, Lord, again, I thank you for um, Dewey's friendship, and I pray, Lord, you just continue to give them uh, the grace during this period of time and, again, the knowledge and wisdom to handle it appropriately. 
Lord, again, I just thank you for what you've done for us, and we just pray that uh, this evening would be blessed by your presence and your working in our hearts. And this I ask in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. So here in verse 19, he begins, and we started talking a little bit about this, about uh, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. We covered some of those verses that uh, make it very clear, uh, especially in the book of Proverbs, that uh, discuss about uh, being willing to listen more than willing to speak. And many times people, uh, rather than listening to what the individual is saying, they're planning in their head what their response is going to be. And they, they fear that if there is that void or that gap that they were, they, their voice will not be heard. And, and again, we, we, we understand that as believers, that's kind of a selfish mentality. That's not something that we're supposed to be striving to do. Uh, we, we, we should be willing to listen. Uh, if you're, you know, trying to help, if you will, mediate an argument or, uh, counsel, uh, a couple of individuals, then you want to listen to both parties. One thing that is always dangerous, you know, in counseling is when you say have a, a, a married couple where you only hear one side of the story. Uh, hearing one side of the story often tends to lead to, uh, some very, uh, misrepresent, very, very big misrepresentations, uh, errors in judgments and assumptions. You have to have both, if you will, both sides of the story. And generally it's best when both are sitting there so that you can get both of them to speak at the same time so that, you know, again, it helps minimize some things. You can see some of that interaction. But what we're talking about here is about being more willing to listen to the word of God, more willing to listen to godly counsel and godly advice uh, scriptural knowledge than, than to listen to the things of the world, than to listen to ourselves, if you will. And that's one of the biggest challenges that we as believers face, is listening to our own selves and sometimes heeding our own advice. Uh, our own advice is, let's just put it this way, is very much one-sided. We can talk ourselves into just about anything. But what we need is we need the word of God to come into there, to, to get into our hearts, to be filled, if you will, filling our ears so that that is what we're hearing so that we will know exactly what it is we are supposed to do. And if you've ever had, you know, whether it's a child or whether it's an employee, you begin giving somebody some instructions. You're like, okay, this is what I need you to do. You need to start doing this. And they're like, no, no, I got it. I got it. I know, I know, I know how to do this. I know. And then, you know, you're like, okay. And you let them go and let them do their whatever they're going to do. And then you come back a little while later and everything is in derision. And, you know, the, the stove is on fire. Uh, you know, the, the, the cat is in the dog's mouth and, you know, uh, you know, children are swinging from curtains and ceiling fans. And, and you're like, what, what, what is going on here? And you're like, something went wrong along the way. Well, what was it? Well, more than likely it was they did not follow the specific process for how to do something. And God is very methodical in his processes. Uh, God just doesn't throw things together, okay? He, he, he just doesn't wing it. He didn't take the Bible and he's like, well, oh, no, I don't know. Should I do 67, 66, 67, 66 books? Oh, I don't know. Uh, let's, uh, let's just do 66. 67 is too much for him. No, he, he, you know, there was methodical. There was a reason behind it. There was a reason behind the way he did uh, uh, certain, uh, if you will, um, uh, certain miracles with specific steps along the way. It wasn't there wasn't mistakes when he was healing the blind man, and the blind man said, "I see men as trees walking." It he, he Jesus Christ didn't mess up the first time and had to redo the miracle. God has a process of doing things. I mean, you even go through and you see the process, if you will, 
of how the word or how the fruit of the spirit is 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 constructed and put together with all those parts and how all those parts must be there in order for it to be the complete fruit of the spirit. And it's not just fruit of love and it's just not just fruit of joy. It's one element in one piece of fruit with all of those components there. Nine components specifically, which has a huge meaning behind it. But what we find here is we find that God begins to show a process of how we can avoid and how not to err, as he is called out uh, in verse 16, how we could not err in going into temptation, falling into those lusts. And the first part is the willingness to listen. The willingness to listen. Swift to hear. Swift to hear. Meaning that's the first thing that you want to do. That's a, you, you, you gravitate towards it. That's the, the first instinct is listen instead of talk. Listen instead of talk. Slow to speak. Think about the words that are coming out of your mouth. There's different areas of the country and certain areas. You've got the long, slow talkers that take their time and you're just like, it's like dragging out how great thou art. You know, your first verse takes 10 minutes. Oh, and you're just like, whoa. <laughs> then there's some people that just, they speak so fast, you can't even understand a word they're saying. Because it's going so fast that they can't get one word out over another word. And pretty soon you're just like, what did you just say? But the end result is, is what we have to be as believers is slow to speak. It's good to think about the words that are coming out of your mouth before you say them. If you're thinking about them as they're coming out, that's a little more difficult. If you're thinking about them afterwards, it's a little too late. You want to make sure that when you're thinking about those words, that you're thinking about them, how am I going to phrase this in such a way that I will, you know, do it as Ephesians 4 says, truth and love. How am I going to uh, season my speech with grace? How am I going to respond with the kind, tender-hearted, forgiveness attitude when I interact with other believers? So it's best to be that slow to speak, as we have looked at last week. But then again, it's slow to wrath. And, and it's interesting to note that he puts that here alongside dealing with temptation and dealing with lust. If there is one emotion that gets people into trouble very quickly, it's anger. Fear takes its time. Sorrow takes its time. Anger, though, is like just throwing a barrel of gasoline on a fire. It just gets things hotter than it needs to be, and it reacts very quickly And generally, everybody that's standing around never has any eyebrows left. (laughs) Because it just burns everything. Anger, but anger, as we know, is not a sin. The Bible says, be angry and sin not in Ephesians 4. God gets angry, so we know anger is not a sin. But we have to approach it with how do we use the anger that is God-given. God gave us emotions. He knew we were going to get angry. Jesus Christ got angry, so we can use it the correct way, or we can use it the incorrect way. So when we're starting to get things worked up, and there comes a point where wrath is needed, it should be a slower response. It shouldn't be the first thing. You know, here in the United States of America... Whether you, you agree, whether, whether you follow baseball or not, we have any real good baseball fans in here, people that really follow baseball at all. Yeah. <laughs> Football, right? Yeah. That's, that's where we're at. Uh, rally racing is mine. So, <laughs> but you know, you, 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 you get that, um, that mentality though from baseball, three strikes and you're out. 
And that's how we appear to judge a lot of things in this life. Well, we'll give them three attempts, and if they don't get it on the third attempt, it's like, oh, man. I went in for that uh, one of the CT scans, and, uh, uh, and, and again, if there was the three strikes, you're out. I, I mean, uh, I, I probably would have had a, a delay in my surgery because they couldn't get the CT IV contrast started. The first time they hit a nerve, which still you know, just lovely, still have you know wonderful repercussions from that. And then you know the next time he, you know, the guy that was second best couldn't get it. And then finally, the guy that was the best in the office comes in and he misses on that. I could have given him three shots and said, nope, you're done. But he, he limited himself. He was going to do only four. And then on the fourth one, praise God, as I'm sitting there praying, Lord, just guide that needle. Just guide that needle as he's like digging into my flesh. Lord, get, you know, and he's like, oh, I got it. I'm like, oh, thank you, God. Because I don't want to have to go through that all over again the next day or the next day, or the next day, or however long it takes for them to get it. But sometimes we've got that three strikes and you're out, if you will, mentality with how we deal with other people. How we deal with circumstances and situations. I am so glad God does not have a three strikes and you're out rule for us. We'd be in serious trouble. We'd be in serious trouble. But what we find is, is we find that God says, I want you to be slow to get to that point where wrath is the correct option. Take your time getting there. Have you ever noticed how long it takes for God to really get angry and get wrathful? I mean, his wrath is going to be poured out here onto the earth shortly. How many years did that take? (laughs) It took a few. It took a few. For us, sometimes it's like, you know, as, as, as Peter said, what if my brother, you know, does this seven times in a day? I mean, you know, that mentality. Well, you continue to forgive. But what we find here is he says, I want you to make sure that, you know, wrath is the, 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 this, if you will, that last option, because look at how he phrases what happens when wrath is not used correctly. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. When we get to the point of where our anger leads to wrath, it's not going to work what is righteous according to God's word. Take a look at a couple of passages. If you will, go to Proverbs chapter 14. Proverbs chapter 14. Let's take a look at Proverbs chapter 14. And let's take a look at verse uh, 29. He that is slow to wrath is of great understanding. I mean, just the first part of this verse is an amazing thing to think about. Where he starts to say, you know, and and people want to get that. They want knowledge. They want understanding. They want wisdom. But in order to get those, you've got to be willing to receive instruction. You've got to be willing to hear the instruction first. But here he is, he's making it very clear here that if you want to get to the point of where you take the knowledge that you've been given and you understand it in such a way that you can begin to use it in your life and you use it wisely, the way that he's he's talking about this here is that you need to make sure that you're slow to wrath. The slower you are to wrath, the more understanding you will gain. Because often as the case is we are quick to that wrath and we don't understand the full concept of what is happening. You have to be very, very careful. 
But he says there uh, very, uh, very clearly, he that is slow to wrath is of great understanding, but he that is hasty of spirit exalteth folly. Somebody that is quick, somebody that just jumps to conclusions, somebody that immediately uh, makes a judgment, somebody that immediately starts assuming something, somebody that immediately just goes right to that, if you will, to, to, the, to the live wire. And he says here specifically, exalteth folly. Now, just so we understand here, folly is another word for sin. We know sin has multiple names. Sin goes by sin, iniquity, transgressions, trespasses, errors, uh, um, uh, here, folly in this case. All of these things we can begin to see. But when somebody is not in control of their spirit, somebody that cannot control themselves, they are what the Bible calls incontinent, that person, all they're going to do is glorify, or if you will here, exalt sin, instead of glorifying God, which is what we are supposed to do. It's, uh, that should be our, our, our first response. Turn to Proverbs chapter 21. Proverbs chapter 21. Proverbs chapter 21, and in verse 24, he gets to the root of what wrath is really about. Now, again, we're talking about wrath used incorrectly. Proud and haughty scorner is his name who dealeth in proud wrath. You know what sometimes wrath is all about? Us. Me, myself, and I. I am so mad that I am the one that got offended. I'm the one that was injured. I'm the one that was I, 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 I. It becomes a pride issue. And we all know what God's status or, or uh, what he thinks about pride is. How, how, he, how he thinks that pride should be categorized. Proverbs 6 makes it clear. It's a hateful abomination. He doesn't like it. He can't stand it. But here he makes it clear exactly what the the situation is. It's somebody that is proud and haughty, proud and haughty scorner. That person is the person that is going to deal with proud wrath. They're the ones that are going to be very quick to that anger, very quick to that wrath point, very quick to strike, very quick to do damage. And it's all about their pride. Somehow, some way, their ego has been stepped on. Somebody, somebody, somebody did something to offend them. And how many times have we offended God by what we do? Aren't you glad he just doesn't zot you into a fine powder right where you stand? <laughs> Praise the Lord for his long suffering. Turn over to the book of Colossians, Colossians 3. <clears throat> Eventually in Sunday school, one of these days, we'll get to Colossians 3. <laughs> But uh, Colossians chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3, just kind of back up here a little bit to verse 5. He says, mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. So, Again, God's showing why his wrath comes about, because people refuse him. In verse 7, it says, In the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. Now, again, this is a very clear picture of us prior to salvation. He says, you walked in it. That was your path. That's what you did. And I don't care if you were five years old, 15 years old, or 50 years old when you got saved. It doesn't make a difference. You still had pride that you were dealing with. 
And here he says, you walked in that. This is, this is, these are the things that you chose to do. These are the things that you desired to do. He says, when you lived in them, and what were we living in? Disobedience, as he calls it out. But in verse 8, he says, but ye now put off all these things. Now again, this is a putting off of something. There will be a putting on in verse 10, but there is a putting off that he talks about first. Now notice here in these passages, he makes it clear, you don't put on Christ and then try to take something off later. You ever try to put a jacket on and then take your shirt off? (laughs) Something's going to get damaged and you're probably going to wind up needing to go to the chiropractor afterwards. But the end result is it doesn't work. So what do you have to do? You have to take that off. You can't say, oh, hey, you know, I'm going to go get dressed up to go to this certain place and go to a fancy dinner, you know, with your wife or something like that. And you got your grubby old work clothes on or your, your, your garage clothes or something of that nature. And you stink and then you put the nice suit on and then you realize, oh man, I still stink. I still smell like gasoline. I still smell like turpentine. I still smell like whatever it was I was doing, mowing the lawn. You put off those. And put on. Now again, we're not talking about salvation here. Totally different thing. We're talking about a believer and what a believer is is doing in their life by changing and doing something. But as he says here very clearly, he says, but now ye also put off all these. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that you put off the old man with his deeds. So he makes it very clear here, and notice the context here. Mortifying of members, meaning controlling yourself, specifically in this passage, what he's talking about, he mentions the tongue. Because he starts talking about blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth, and lying. So this anger and wrath and malice winds up being connected to those things. Because we say things in the heat of the moment, don't we? We say stupid things in the heat of the moment. Dumb things. Ephesians 4 even makes it more clear when you go back over there where he talks about, in Ephesians 4.31, where he says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you uh, with all malice. And he makes it very clear here. And again, he's talking about some of the things that we do with our mouth. James is dealing a lot with the mouth. Isn't it interesting that a lot of what comes out of our mouth is often what we wind up listening to? I remember hearing a story, and I can't remember whether it was the coworker or the coworker was telling me about one of her friends about one of the things she was had, had this uh, uh, um, her her child with her. Her child was just starting to trying to learn how to speak, was making some some uh, 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 sounds and things of that nature. And they were driving down the road, and somebody did something in front of this. Uh, this, uh, this woman and, uh, she let out a, a foul word. And the child, like, oh, a new word. And for the next five minutes was like singing it. She pulled over to the side of the road and wept. Her daughter's first word was a curse word. Where did she hear it from? Mommy. What we listen to will come out of our mouth. Because what we listen to affects our heart. And our heart speaks, or excuse me, our mouth speaks what the heart's full of. Christ made that pretty clear. So this is why, again, we've got to make sure that when we're dealing with situations like this where wrath 
is, is, is going to be there. We have to make sure that we're doing it the right way. And I'll tell you this, exercising wrath, while it's used in certain, certain situations, and there's, it, it itself is a whole study when you study out the emotion of anger. But I will tell you this, that there's a certain time, there's a certain place to use it. There's a certain way to go about using it. It has to be done righteously. It has to be done godly in a very godly manner. Exercising it the way God would. And I would dare say that most of the time it's best to default to let God deal with the wrath. Because we have a hard time just controlling our tongues. How are we going to control a heart that is filled with rage and wrath? That's like trying to take care of, uh, you know, calm, if you will, a raging bull. It's just, it's going to be a very fruitless endeavor. We see here, going back to the book of James, he, he, he makes it clear these things that, uh, uh, we're supposed to, if you will, um, do and what we're supposed, how we're supposed to respond, if you will, this process. And he gets to this point in verse 21 where he enters another phase of this process. Again, it's the laying apart of in verse 21. Very similar to the putting off. Lay apart. Wherefore, lay apart. What that means is you need to put it away from you. You lay it aside and you don't touch it again. You lay it aside apart from you so it's not part of you. He says, wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. Now, this right here is one of the key things that we have to begin to work on and understand because he talks about it as you get down a little bit further in verse 21, or excuse me, 27, where he says, keep himself unspotted from the world. Keep himself unspotted from the world. That's an important thing. And what we need to do is when we take a look here at this, uh, dealing with this issue of filthiness, and superfluidity of naughtiness. And that superfluidity, if you will, that is just, if you will, gross excess. It's just an increasing amount of it. It's amped up. And I tell you, that's what needs to be laid aside from us. We need to lay aside this, if you will, desire to do the things that are naughty. Now, we, we, you know, here in the Western world, we, we think of that word naughty and we're like, well, I, I'm not a naughty person. Well, naughtiness is anything that goes against what God has told you to do. You ever seen the naughty child? Don't touch that. Don't touch that. Don't touch that. And you're they're sitting there, they got that look on there. I'm going to touch it. I'm going to touch it. They're being naughty. We'd say that would be a naughty child. A child that is constantly in disobedience. We refer to them as a naughty child. And here he makes it very clear that we can get to the point of where we're just increasing in it. And, and, and that's how sin works. I mean, we saw very clearly how sin comes about and what it winds up doing in verse 15. When lust has conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. There's an escalation. Sin will always escalate. And look, you know, I know, I know people have got all sorts of different, you know, opinions about the whole thing. But let's just get down to to, to to the root of it. You know, people start talking about certain drugs and things like that, and they'll say, "Well, marijuana is not bad. You know, it's it's you know it's it, 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 it's not as addictive. It doesn't." And people are like, "Well, it's not really in this a gateway drug." And some people will say it's a gateway drug. Well, let's put it this way: What happens when the marijuana isn't enough? 
Same with alcohol. What happens when the alcohol isn't enough? What happens when the alcohol just doesn't give you the same buzz anymore? Doesn't make you feel good. What happens when the alcohol doesn't uh, get rid of your, uh, you know, the worries of the day? You just start escalating. That's what sin is. Sin just escalates. I mean, you go back over there, the book of Proverbs, where it describes the drunkard and the drunkards, you know, reeling to and fro, seeing in strange things, all these stuff going on. He, his life is miserable. It describes it miserably. And then what does the drunk do? He says, he'll seek it yet again. That's what the superfluidity is. It's the continually going back for more and more and more and more and more. And he points out these two areas of filthiness and naughtiness. Now, again, these are things that he's saying that need to be laid aside. When you trust Christ as your Savior, these are things that need to be set to the side and not revisited. Not picked up again. Left alone. And he says, this is what needs to happen. He says, you need to lay those things apart. And when you lay those things apart, I, let's just use my glasses. I keep waving them around here like a crazy person. But let's <laughs> just say, I lay this apart. I'm going to put this over here. I put them down on the table. I leave them there and I don't touch them again. But in order for me to use my hand correctly or do something with my hand, I would pick up something else to replace it. I'm just going to, as an example, pick up a pad here really quickly, and then I begin waving this around like a crazy person. (laughs) But here I have got, you know, a pad, and I've replaced it. And here he says very clearly, he says, "Wherefore, Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. And he talks about rather than taking those things and continuing to have them, what we need to do is we need to receive the word of God into our lives, and that will take care of that filthiness and naughtiness. But it has to be received. You can receive a package from Amazon, UPS, FedEx, DHL, or whoever, whatever courier you want to have, and have it sit there on your doorstep. But until you open the door and take it inside and open it up, you have not received anything that's in that. The same thing is true when it comes to the Word of God. People can pack around a Bible. They can have verses memorized. And they can sit in a church pew their whole entire life. But if they have never received it and actually for themselves, nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going to happen. It's like walking around with an unwrapped present. Now, we know that the Word of God, very clearly, he talks about, is salvation. This shows us right here the way to have eternal life and forgiveness of sins. Aside from what is written in these pages, there's no other way to get it. No other book contains that truth. The Bible does. And as he talks about this here, and we, again, understanding with this concept, understanding what he's, what he, what he's getting at, uh, again, he, he makes this move towards how the Word of God is going to influence us against erring, against the, uh, the filthiness, against the naughtiness, against using things incorrectly, against the wrong mindset, uh, against lusts and temptations, all of these things. He starts to show how the Word of God becomes critical to the believer in that day-to-day walk. 
This is how we begin to build that faith that he starts talking about is so important. Why it's so important. Because again, in this last passage, not only does he start talking about the word of God, which is able to to save our souls, but he talks about in verse 25, he refers to it. And again, this is a, if you will, a, a name of the word of God, the perfect law of liberty. That is a phrase that is meant to refer to the Word of God. Well, how do we know that? Because he talks about keeping it, looking into it, continuing in it, not being a forgetful hearer, doing it, and so on and so forth. There's only one thing that I know of that equates to that, and that is God's Word. And this is, again, the whole purpose and the mindset behind this second part. Because as he talks about it, he says very clearly that we have to receive this. We're putting something aside and we're picking up something else. We're laying aside what's going to be the sinful behaviors and the sinful habits. And we're going to be receiving and picking up, if you will, those important elements out of the word of God, those important principles for day-to-day living Specifically here, as he goes through and talks about dealing with the mouth, which deals with the heart. But as he talks about this here, he says the engrafted word. The engrafted word. Now again, I, when, when you realize the context of how he is phrasing this, how often do we think about the word of God being engrafted into our hearts. When we think about it being filled, that word have I hid in my heart, hiding it in there. But how about engrafted? Meaning that it is actually part of you. It's not just some vain religion that we're worshiping here. It's not some sort of traditions of men that we go along and chant endlessly in the hope of doing something. What the Word of God is going to do in your life if you receive it, and there's a certain way to receive it, that's with meekness, and we'll address that in just a minute here. When you do that, that will engraft what God's word is telling you into your day-to-day life. The reason many people struggle with repertory sins, where it just keeps repeating over and over and over and over and over and over again, is because they have not fully engrafted the word of God in their day-to-day living. They, 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 They haven't made it part of them. Now, now it becomes very important to think about this because, again, we start thinking about who the Word of God is. It's Jesus Christ. We know that He is already dwelling in us, and we are in Him. So we understand that concept. But if we are going to have it be part of who we are, there has to be a way that we receive this. And it's with meekness. Now, again, if we were to ask what people thought the word meekness, you know, kind of how, how would we define what is meek, we'd probably get uh, several different answers. But when you get down to the root of the, what the word meek is all about, uh, it's about uh, really two things. Uh, number one, it's yielded. And number two, it's submitted. In order to be yielded and submitted, there has to be humility. You go over to Matthew chapter 5 and it says, The meek shall inherit the earth, right? I want you to think about that for a moment, who he was talking to when he said that. Some of the proudest people that ever existed. 
And he was talking about that kingdom that he promised them. And he said, the only way you're going to get that, the only way you're going to inherit that, you got to cut out the pride. You got to cut out the pride. Go to a couple of passages, just really quick, looking at uh, 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 meekness. Uh, turn to Psalm chapter twenty-five. Psalm twenty-five. <clears throat> Psalm chapter twenty-five. Let's take a look at verse nine. <clears throat> he says, "The meek." Will he guide in judgment? And the meek will he teach his way. It is almost impossible to teach somebody that is so filled with pride that they can't get over themselves to listen. The way that God deals with people is He wants the meekness. You know that whole double-mindedness, like I said, is often we're dealing with ourselves? Because He starts talking about that. Us looking into a glass, you know, a mirror. We look into the mirror and we look at ourselves and we go, oh man, I look pretty good today. Or we look at ourselves and go, what is going on with that beard? (laughs) Or we look at ourselves and go, I'm 50 now. How in the world did I get that much ear hair? You know? (laughs) I mean, things of that nature. And you know what happens? You do that. You groom yourself. You walk away from the mirror. And as Paul says, you forget about it. You forget about it. Praise the Lord, I'm getting some massage therapy for some of the stuff that's going on with the neuropathy in the back and all that garbage. And, um, you know, you're laying down on that face pillow and, and I'll tell you, face pillows and beard hair do not mix. <laughs> Cause I get up and, 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 and praise God, my, my massage therapist has a mirror in there. I get up and I'm like, mm-hmm, yeah. I look in the mirror and I go, whoa, (laughs) the hair's like, "Ah," you know, off to one side. And I'm like trying to like, you know, get it to go down. And, you know, it, it, we forget about it, what we look like. We don't think about it. Well, that's not the way that the word of God is supposed to be in our lives. We're supposed to, if you will, receive it, and we receive it with meekness, so it will be engrafted into us. But here he makes it very clear here, the only way that we're going to wind up getting the right kind of guidance and the right kind of teaching is if we are willing to be meek. If that, if that's who we are. If we have that meekness of Moses. Some of us don't have the meekness of Moses. Some of us are, 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 are all talk like Peter. Some of us respond like Peter. You know, cause I mean, you know, there always, there's always the solution of just, just chopping off somebody's ear. You know, <laughs> things get bad. Just you know, go aim for, aim for the head and hope for the best, right? Do you, did you ever think about that? Peter was trying to take his head off. Now, I don't know if Malchus ducked, if he moved his head, or if Peter was just a bad shot. <laughs> but somebody's ear was on the floor when it was all said and done. Wow. But meek is what God wants. You want to know the right way to judge a situation, to judge what's going on in your life, to judge the situations around you? Be meek. Otherwise, you're not going to get the judgment. Because he says right here, the meek will he guide in judgment. 
He doesn't guide proud people. God doesn't use people with pride. Now, he will, let me rephrase that. He'll use them for his honor, glory, and praise, but he won't use them the way that you think that I'm talking about. For service. He'll use them as a bad example. Pharaoh. Pharaoh. Herod. Uh, what was Nebuchadnezzar's um, great-grandson? What was his name? Bel... Was it Belshazzar or Belshazzar? One of those two. One of those two. <clears throat> Sorry, I've forgotten my ancient Babylonian. Um, I forget which one's which. <laughs> but, but, but the end result is, is those guys were filled with what? Pride. God used them as an example. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be used as an example like that. I want to be used for the glory of God and bring him praise and honor. He says here, and the meek will he teach his way. The only way that you're going to understand, as we talked about, that guidance, because it starts off very broad. There's a direction there's a path, there's a way, there's a walk, and it gets to be more narrow, as we talked about. If somebody can say, well, where, you know, how do I get to Seattle? Well, it's that way. Okay, can you give me a specific, you know, path to get there? Okay, well, the path is going to be I-5. Can you tell me the specific way? Well, you're going to go up I-5 till you get to a certain uh, point, and then you're going to take a certain exit, and then we start guiding them into exactly where they want to go in Seattle. And it gets more and more specific. In order to get that more and more specific, you have to be more and more meek. You have to be more willing to be meek and less about ourselves in order to receive that direction. In order to know what way God wants us to go. So I'll tell you this, and sometimes with young people, and I'll close with this and we'll pick up next week, Lord willing. But sometimes, you know, young people will come and they will say, I just don't know which direction God wants me to go in my life. He wants you to draw nearer to him. There's the direction. Yeah, but what path am I specifically supposed to take? Okay, well, before we can get to that point, let's start with this verse. In order to understand the way that you're going to go, you need to start making sure you're humble. You need to start making sure that you're yielded. You need to start making sure that you're submitted. Meekness is going to be the key to discerning the will of God in your life. Without meekness, good luck. And I don't believe in luck. I don't believe in some God of mischief, okay? That's the root word of where that came from. But I, I don't believe in that stuff. But you're going to need something because you're not going to have God directing you and guiding you. So when it comes to this, as we kind of close this, this evening, when it comes to where he's getting at, how we begin to the, uh, you know, deal with the, 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 the lusts and the temptations and all these sins that are, 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 you know, heading our direction. It's going to be to receive that word of God. It's going to be to, to, to take that. And he makes it very clear there in verse 21, back over in James chapter one, which is able to save your souls. And this is an important thing. I'm going to say this and I'll be done. The word of God is able to save your souls. Well, how do we know that? Because the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So we understand that he's capable of doing that. And I like how James just, he, he, he puts that on there and he doesn't just throw it on as a tagline or as because it sounds cool. No, he, he, he wants to remind the readers 
the listeners, the hearers, hey, if God can save your soul with the word of God, what else do you think he can do with the word of God? Can you help you control the tongue? Well, that's just the way I am. That's the way God made you. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. You learned that from somewhere. Whether it was self-taught off of YouTube or whether you learned it from an instructional school somewhere of how to not keep your mouth shut. (laughs) One way or another, no, it's not because of who we are. As in, that's the way God made us. It's what we do because we refuse to listen. That's the problem. But I like how Isaiah puts that very clear. If he can save your souls with the word of God, he can do so much more with it to build your faith, to build your patience, and to build your endurance when going through trials and temptations in this life. How are you going to get that joy that he talks about in the first part of the chapter? Listening to God. Listening to God. Let's go ahead and close with a word of prayer. Brother Rick Trazis, would you dismiss us, please?